Jerusalem itself is shared between Judah and Benjamin, an eternal recollection of Judah's sacrifice for his brother Benjamin. The holiest spot in the city will be in Benjamin's territory, because when Judah makes space for Benjamin, where brother sacrifices for brother, there the divine will dwell. Welcome to Bible 365, Episode 70, Jerusalem, Hebron, and the Nature of Judaism. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Around 75 years ago, a BBC correspondent by the name of Patrick Walker entered Bergen-Belsen with the British Army and filed a report on the first Friday after the liberation. There he said the following, quote, The day I reached Belsen concentration camp, the fifth day of liberation was a Friday, the day before the Jewish Sabbath. Something like half the surviving prisoners were Jews, and the Jewish chaplain to the British Second Army, the Reverend L. H. Hardman, held an eve of the Sabbath service in the open air in the midst of the camp. It was the first Jewish service that many of the men and women present had taken part in in six years, and probably the first Jewish service held on German soil in absolute security without fear for a decade. Around us lay the corpses that there had not been time to clear away even after five days. People were still lying down and dying in broad daylight before our very eyes. This was the background to this open-air Jewish service. During the service, the few hundred people gathered together were sobbing openly with joy at their liberation and with sorrow at the memory of their parents and brothers and sisters that had been taken away from them and gassed and burned. These people knew they were being recorded. They wanted the world to hear their voice. They made a tremendous effort which quite exhausted them. Listen. So Patrick Walker said, and then the BBC played the conclusion of the service, which Walker assumed was the ending of the Shabbat liturgy. But it wasn't. As if by instinct, the former inmates of Bergen-Belsen concluded the service by singing Hatikvah, now the official anthem of the State of Israel. There is much to say about this moment, which we will discuss in another talk. But for now, if you listen to the recording and we have sent a link to you, you will notice that while the words being sung are those of Hatikvah, they are not quite the same as the lyrics that we know today. We are used to the chorus, Od lo avda tikvatenu, hatikva bachnot apayim, liotam chofshi be'artzenu, eretz tzion virushalayim. The expressed hope in those words is to be a free nation in our land, the land of Zion and Jerusalem. But the original version, composed by Naftali Hertz Imber, is slightly different. Od lo avda tikvatenu, hatikva hanoshana, our hope has not yet been lost, the ancient hope, to return to the land of our fathers, and to the city where David camped. The current version speaks of the Holy Land and its most sacred city by their names, Eretz Tzion Virushalayim. The original references the land of our fathers and the city that David settled. And, rightly understood, it is our seemingly didactic and prosaic chapters of Joshua that actually allow us to understand the profound poetic power of Atikva's original ending. We begin our reflection with that final phrase of Imbers from the original Atikva, Ir Asher David Chana, the city that David settled, or the city where David camped. Imber did not even need to say the word Yerushalayim. David's city is sufficient, because the Jewish relationship with Jerusalem is bound up with that of David. We are informed by the book of Samuel that upon the death of Saul, David was coronated and ruled originally in Hebron, but he chose, on his own, to conquer Jerusalem, which had been occupied by the Jebusites since Joshua, and to make it his capital. From that point on, it is known as Ir David, the city of David. The point was pithily made by Menachem Begin when the UN criticized the Israeli annexation of the old city of Jerusalem. 
As Yehuda Avner quotes, Begin said, Chutzpah, by what right does the United Nations dare tell us what the capital of Israel should be? Did the founders of the proud American nation ever ask anybody's permission before they designated Washington as their capital? Did they? Just as the builders of Washington endowed their capital city with the letters D.C., said Begin, so did the builders of Jerusalem endow our capital with the letters D.C., David's city. This is what Begin said, Jerusalem, D.C. That is right, and much of our discussion of the book of Samuel will focus on what Jerusalem meant to David. And yet, throughout David's story, there was one question that the Tanakh never explicitly answers. Why is Jerusalem so special? It's true, of course, that according to Jewish tradition, this is where the binding of Isaac took place at the top of Mount Moriah. But there are many other extraordinary events that occurred to our forefathers in the land of Israel, such as the stopping of the sun, which we just discussed. And it's not clear why the location of Abraham's offering of Isaac should determine the political and spiritual locus of a country. Indeed, from the beginning of chapter 18 in Joshua, a center of worship is set up that will serve Israel for many centuries, and that is not in Jerusalem. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel, we are told, assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. Moreover, were we to choose a city in the land of Israel to serve as the locus of our devotion, there is another that makes its appearance in Joshua that would seem to be the perfect candidate the very same city where David was originally coronated. Joshua chapters 12 and 13 describe the many city-states and kings defeated by the people of Israel, and then in what follows we read of the apportionment of the land of Israel through the guidance of God. Joshua was approached by the man who had been a spy with him in the Holy Land. They were together the only two who had not issued a negative report. Caleb recalls to Joshua that he had been promised the precise city that he had once scouted. Chapter 14, verse 8, Caleb says, And my brethren went up with me and made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which thy feet have trodden shall be thy inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. The specific space in the Holy Land originally scouted by Caleb has been granted to him by Moses' decree. And in verse 13 of chapter 14, we learn what city this was. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Yephunneh, for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, son of Yephunneh, the Kenizi, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. For the rabbis of the Midrash, it is obvious what drew this righteous man Caleb 40 years ago as a spy to Hebron, and therefore why Caleb so desires it four decades later. In Hebron lies the cave of Machpelah, the burial site of Abraham, of the patriarchs and the matriarchs. Hebron is a city that remains forever sacred to the Jewish people because it is a site that truly embodies what the entire land of Israel is, why Jews long to return there, both in Joshua's day and our own, because the Holy Land is, in Imber's words, Eretz Avotenu, the land of our forefathers. But this merely makes our original question more powerful. If Hebron is so important, as indeed it is, what makes Jerusalem so special? It is when we comb through the details of Joshua's apportionment of the land that the secret of Jerusalem is revealed. As the land is divided, the primary responsibility for further conquest of those areas lies with the tribe linked to that particular territory. Thus, Joshua tells us in chapter 14, verse 63, As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem unto this day. Jerusalem, it appears, was long designated as part of the portion of the tribe of Judah. Yet three chapters later, Joshua, in a seemingly uninteresting series of verses, 
lists the cities that have been set aside for the tribe of Benjamin. Here are select verses from chapter 18, beginning with verse 11. And the lot of the tribe of the children of Benjamin came up according to their families. And the coast of their lot came forth between the children of Judah and the children of Joseph. Now the cities of the tribe of the children of Benjamin, according to their families, were Jericho and Beth Hoglah and the valley of Kaziz, and Rechem and Irpil and Taralah and Zelah and Eleph and Yevusi, which is Jerusalem, Givath and Kiriath, fourteen cities with their villages. This is the inheritance of the children of Benjamin, according to their families. Now, ladies and gentlemen, at first blush, this seems to be a prosaic passage but it actually reveals two striking facts. First, Benjamin's territory is placed between that of Joseph and that of Judah. Second, and more problematically, it seems that Jerusalem is apportioned to Benjamin rather than Judah. Indeed, the book of Judges, in a verse very similar to that preceding in Joshua, informs us in the first chapter that, quote, the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites and inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day exactly as was described in Joshua about the tribe of Judah in Jerusalem. So is Jerusalem part of Judah's portion or Benjamin's? The traditional Jewish answer is both. Indeed, the sages insist that even as much of Jerusalem was to be found in Judah's land, the summit of what would be known as the Temple Mount was in that of Benjamin. Jerusalem, in other words, is the only shared city in the entire Tanakh. And all that we have seen thus far in the Hebrew Bible allows us further insight into the source of Jerusalem's sanctity. For as we have studied, the choosing of Judah son of Jacob as the ancestor of the monarchy begins with his sacrifice for his brother Benjamin. When Pharaoh's vizier, which is Joseph in disguise, asserts that Benjamin will be his slave, Judah steps forward and says, take me instead. In this extraordinary act, Judah exhibits a repentance that ends up uniting the tribes with the Joseph that they had once sold into slavery and ensures thereby the covenantal continuity of the people of Israel. All this is replayed for eternity on one mountain in the Judean desert. The territory of Benjamin is placed in between that of Joseph and that of Judah, just as the actual Benjamin once came between Joseph and Judah in Egypt so many years before. Jerusalem is made up of a unique symbiosis of geography and theology in which a spatial recreation of Judah's repentance, his sacrifice for his family, and his being chosen as the ancestor of the monarchy is replayed atop a mountain for all eternity. Benjamin's territory stands between that of his two brothers, just as young Benjamin stood between his brothers in Egypt. Jerusalem itself is shared between Judah and Benjamin, an eternal recollection of Judah's sacrifice for his brother Benjamin. The holiest spot in the city will be in Benjamin's territory, because when Judah makes space for Benjamin, where brother sacrifices for brother, there the divine will dwell. Thus, the original tale of Judah's sacrifice for Benjamin, the familial loyalty at the heart of a faith now known as Judaism, becomes forever enshrined at the locus of Jewish longing. Jerusalem embodies the brotherhood of the Jewish people. It is a capital that joins nation, faith, and family. This is the eternal allure of its sanctity. It is the only city that is simultaneously divided and united, illustrating in division and integration the possibility of appreciating the diverse members of Israel for their unique gifts and finding therein the means of uniting them all. Thus, the two cities that become so important to the future of Israel that are discussed in these chapters of Joshua embody sacred aspects of Judaism. Hebron reminds us that the Holy Land is the land of our fathers, 
And Jerusalem reflects the covenantal and familial bond that links the Jewish people in eternal brotherhood. The old version of Atikva is largely forgotten today, but it was once the version that many knew. Menachem Begin, in his prison memoir, White Nights, describes being transported on a Soviet jailing boat on the Pechora River, along with another prisoner, a Jewish communist by the name of Garin. Garin was, his entire life, opposed to Zionism as well as all forms of faith. But one evening on the boat, Begin writes, quote, Garin's voice aroused me from the semi-sleeping state that we were in perpetually because of the dark, hunger, weakness, and the stench. Menachem! Menachem! Begin further describes what Garin wanted, and what he wanted was shocking. Quote, Do you remember the song Loshuv? He spoke to me in Yiddish for the first time. What song, I asked also in Yiddish. He had said Loshuv, and at first I did not understand him, perhaps because of his pronunciation or perhaps because I was still half asleep. How is it that you don't know, he asked rather crossly. It's the song the Zionists used to sing in Odessa when I was still a boy. Loshuv, Loshuv, don't you know that song? Ah, you mean Atikva, I said, using this pronunciation. Perhaps it is Atikva. What I remember is the word Loshuv. Yes, it is Atikva. You mean the song Lashuv Eretz Avotenu, the song of hope to return to the land of our fathers. Of course I remember it. Well then, said Garen, sing it to me. You see, Menachem, I won't get out of here alive. Begin writes that Garen said further, perhaps you'll get out. Perhaps you will one day come across my children, who knows? Tell them about their father. Tell them everything. Tell them I always used to think of them. But now I want you, please, to sing me Lashuv. Sing me Lashuv. Begin writes, I began to sing Hatikva. I felt as if I were saying the confessional prayer with a Jew who, like a kidnapped child, has pastured in strange fields and, on the threshold of death after many tribulations, returns to his people and his faith. Begin thus describes a man who has spent his life rebelling against his people, who suddenly remembers his family, and he summons within himself the source of familial love and longing to return to the land of our fathers meaning to the land where our fathers lie buried in Hebron, and to Jerusalem, which binds the Jewish people in brotherhood. Begin never forgot this moment and all that it taught him. As he put it, quote, When the time comes, after infinite trials and tribulations, what does the assistant editor of Pravda, general secretary of the Ukrainian Communist Party, remind himself of? He reminds himself of Lashuv, to return to the land of our fathers. That is his consolation. And perhaps... For the first time since it began to flow northwards, the Pechora heard the prayer of confession and thanksgiving. And out of the depths we cried unto the Lord, La Shuv Avoteno. End quote. To return to the land of our fathers. A man lost for so long connects with his people at the last moment, discovering the bond that Jerusalem embodies. And the man who held his hand, who sung to him, the Zionist prisoner on a ship of sickness and despair, sang that original Hatikva in the shadow of death a man who would one day be the prime minister of a Jewish state and who would defend the Jewish roots in the land of Israel and in Jerusalem. It is Joshua, read carefully, that allows us to better understand the love and longing for Lashuv of Jewish generations and why, when all hope seemed lost, Jews still said, next year in Jerusalem. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together next week. Signing off.